The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Welcome. In partnership with the Columbus Dispatch, The Other Side is featuring a series of special podcast episodes called In Black and White. The series is devoted to discussing race and its impact on society. Dr. Terrence Dean and I will be interviewing scholars, community leaders, and artists in relevant fields to try to answer some of the most important questions related to race and the Black experience. And joining us today is Columbus native and artist Queen Brooks. Her work has been featured in magazines and on TV. Welcome, Ms. Brooks. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased. I'm thrilled to be here with Queen Brooks. I had the opportunity to to attend the closing reception at the Ohio State University of Queen Brooks um, art exhibit that was on display. And I was so taken aback by the spirit of the art, but more so, I was very fortunate to meet Queen Brooks as uh, we were in this closed you know, reception, but the way she approached me and, and she came up to me and said, well, hello, young man, what's your name? <laughs> Thank you for coming. And I was just so encouraged by that, your openness, your frankness, but also just how gracious you were um, during the talk of seeing so many of us coming out to support your work and what inspired you to do this series that was on display at The Ohio State University. And I said, we have to have a conversation to talk about you, your life, your journey, uh, where we are today and what art means in this time of pandemic, what art means in the time of Black Lives Matter, because you talk about that and you spoke about that during the art closing ex exhibition. So to get everybody on, on board, um, the art exhibition that was on display at The Ohio State University, could you tell us a little more, um, and for the audience who did not get the opportunity and they missed it, <laughs> that great exhibit, what inspired you to create this series and will it be another exhibit coming up soon? I really have no plans for another exhibit of mine coming up anytime soon. Wow. But that's great. I'm so happy about that because I need the time to create new work. Okay. This exhibit, uh, Letters to Myself, was a two-part thing. It was pre-pandemic, uh, and then it was during the pandemic. So I was ready to show uh, the first part, the pre-pandemic part, was the mass the wooden assemblages, mm -hmm. uh, and they spoke to things of my heart, like freedom in terms of flying away. They spoke to my ancestry as things of African-centric, Afrocentric part of my heritage, mm -hmm. and they spoke to my generation in terms of me now being an elder. Mm. The second part spoke to my dismay at what was happening to our race, to the country, and to the world in terms of racism and the pandemic itself. It was a lot of turmoil, a lot of self-searching, a lot of searching for truth. Mm. So that's it. Wow. And 
as I said, you know, for those who, who did not get a chance to see the exhibit that was on display, like I said, it's it's definitely something to take in, to experience, and to encounter. And you shared that within your talk when you spoke with us, the audience, the pandemic, you know, how have you been maintaining during the pandemic? And what does that do to you as an artist? You know, because some people would say, wow, you have the great time to have that solitude to be alone. But there's something else that's happening, not just the solitude, but to know that the whole world has stopped. So what does that mean and how does that influence and how did that inspire you? What it did for me in actuality at first I thought, yes, okay, this is a great time during the quarantine to get some solitary time and to do some creativity, to search myself. And then during the pandemic, after a while, that got pretty old. And I was like, I want somebody to hug me. (laughs) I want to touch somebody's hand. (laughs) You know, I got tired of going out and standing on the porch And then coming back in the house, I really felt the need. And I talked to several people on the phone. I'm not a phone person, but I did a lot of talking on the phone. Just I needed to hear. I needed to touch. Some human interaction. Yes. I needed to relate to another human being. And I think that was the part that bothered me the most. uh, Because as much as I love art, I love people more. And art is just a means for me to interact with folks. I totally understand what you're saying. You know, like as as Scott just mentioned, you know, that ability to touch, have human interaction. Because, yeah, you know, um, for artists who need the solitude, but as you said, it gets old pretty quickly. (laughs) Yes. But you also talked about um, how even the murder of George Floyd inspired you as well during that time to create more work. What was it about George Floyd you think was a pivotal moment for you as an artist to create and or to reflect and to design something around that moment? Well, it was the first time for me to actually witness someone actually being killed. Mm. And I could not believe that I was actually watching a man being murdered and begging for his life. Right. Uh, That hurt me to no ends. I can't imagine what it did to his parents and his relatives. And regardless of what he was or had been or done, it made no difference. He did not deserve to die like that from someone that's supposed to be protecting us. So I was past angry, but I was so hurt and I had to, I had to do something to, to get rid of the pain that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that being able to go back to my art, being able to make marks, angry marks or, or not angry, it it didn't matter. I needed to do something to get rid of the pain. And so, unfortunately, uh, any works that resolve from that, uh, they don't look like a lot of pain because I don't make art that is dark. 
Right. But they they helped me to get through it. And hopefully someone else got something else, whatever they get from it. But uh, I will never, ever forget that. I will never forget that. And also, at one point, I don't know the man's name, but when he was running from the police and I saw him being shot in the back. Yes. And he was running from the police and he was just trying to avoid a ticket or something, nothing that required his life. So those things, um, after a while, I just could not watch television any longer. So I would shut down for a while from the TV. That is very powerful and how that inspired you. And as you mentioned, you know, when you came on, say moving into the space of an, um, an elder, you know, you, you've seen many iterations of, you know, Black life transforming, particularly here in Columbus, you know, and how communities have transformed here. Does that still impact you the same way as well, like the George Floyd the young, and the other young men running from the police, but also now um, how Columbus, um, we can talk about Makaya Bryant, the young lady who was shot by the police. And right. The black man who was also shot this um, in January, was it January, um, in the garage here in Oh, Columbus. yes, yes. Does that does that impact you as well? I mean, like, you know, like we've seen more and more of this happening time and time again. Is that showing up more for you as well? Like, you know, this need to express what's happening in our world, particularly to black life? Well, does it show up in my work or how does it affect me personally? Yeah, it affects you personally. But, you know, do you think that, you know, seeing the shift you know, in Columbus happening over time, you know, like I said, you moving into the space as an elder, seeing how black life and what's happening to black life over these periods of times, you know, these decades, you know, the change from, let's say like the seventies to the eighties, to the nineties, to the two thousands. Well, I've been around a long time and I have seen changes for sure. Yeah. But the changes I saw as a younger generation we didn't see that type of, of, of inhumanity. Right. I mean, as a child, I, w- I was afraid of the police. Okay. We all knew as blacks that we had a certain place we had to be in and act a certain way, or we would be beat. We were beaten. I've seen older people beaten and because they were maybe... You know, so they were a little tilted in terms of having, well, they were drunk, but they didn't deserve to be beaten as I had seen them. Now, uh, racism, I think that is just out there. I mean, we've got people who have stormed the Capitol. And now they got protesters help trying to get them out of jail. It's like, what kind of crap is that? But the thing is, had it been us, had it been us storming that Capitol, they still been cleaning up bloodstains. That's a bunch of crap and we know it and they know it. But the change has now become so evident that somebody, even in their race, has to do say something about it because the younger generation, we're not have, they're not having it. They're just not having it. The older generation, as like myself, marched, 
we did it through channels. We did it nonviolently. But the young people, they're, they're not having it like that. And so it's going to be either we're going to be subject to equality is like everybody else is, or we're going to be subject to an American war, mm. an internal war. And if there's anybody, I mean, the, I don't care. If there's anybody in the government that's following Trumpism, mm-hmm. you know, and they get back, then we're we're going to be in a bunch of trouble. And we're going to be in a bunch of trouble, and there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. But I think the young people, I admire them for what they're doing because they're active. They're taking up what we can't do. I mean, I can't walk anymore, hardly. Talking about walking in a uh, rally, I, shoot, get me out the door. I'll stand on my porch, but I can't I can't do no long term walking. So uh, I can only encourage and, uh, and and back up those who are willing to do what I'm unable to do. And I will do that. I'm glad and fortunate that I was able to see your last exhibit, because as you just mentioned, <laughs> you're not planning on doing another. So what now where you are in this space right now? Are you you said you are you? now looking at things to do other than painting or, or designing, or are you just saying you're taking time to observe what's happening, to be more inspired? Like, like what's next for Queen? That's what I'm asking God. What's next, Lord? Because <laughs> I don't really know. I know that I've cleaned up my studio so that I can work, because I'm not one to work in clutter. So I've cleaned it up. I'm ready to work, but I'm trying to determine what it is that I want to say. I know that in this period, I'm not real political in terms of my art, but my mind, mind is, and I have to pray for my mind because uh, the things I like to do, I'd be dead to or go to jail, <laughs> you know, but. I I just foster those that have the strength to do what they feel is right. And I'm trying to put out work that fosters hope Mm. because, you know, there's a lot of people who have just given up and not the young people, although the young people that are the ones who are destroying each other, they have no hope. And they they need that hope. They don't have a vision for tomorrow. They don't have a vision for anything except to go out and do what they do that day. I don't know how we can reach them. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I ask God, how does my art reach somebody like that? Well, maybe my art will reach somebody that can do something for somebody like that. Mm. Because that's the only way that I can talk because by nature, I'm a shy person. But when I talk about art or when I'm laughing with others, it's a way for me to give expression to what I hope will become a part of this world, which is predominantly love and toleration. Because you talk, you and I, you and I had a conversation after I saw your exhibit and I asked you what was religion and spirituality uh, were you heavily influenced 
um, by it. And you, and you know, we laughed and joked about it, but how, but even now when you're talking, I think you're preaching through your art. <laughs> oh, you know, somebody else said that too. I'm a deacon at my church, but I'm not a preacher. Although some people have said, you're a preacher, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher because I have high standards for preachers and I don't think I can get up there. <laughs> well, look, so now let's talk about you as, like you said, now, you know, you know, we know you're very humble, but, you know, you are one of the, you know, Ohio's and, you know, the world's black preeminent artists um, who continues to, you know, challenge provoke, but also inspire, as you said, hope. Um, why do you think we don't see so many other Black artists getting the same type of recognition or support? And I remember at the um, exhibition, you talked about how your time at oh, um, The Ohio State University was not such a great time and experience for you. There are very few of you in the program, in your M um, MFA program. Right. Do you think that's changing? Is the art world changing? You know, um, is art changing? You know, is there something different between white art and black art? Oh, I think it's changed a lot. I mean, I feel like I've been blessed because uh, I am known, but I don't know how well known I'm, I am outside of Columbus, uh, outside of the state. Although my work is throughout, is throughout the not just the state, but throughout the country, mm -hmm. but it's by different owners. My uh, work is also in Africa because I stayed there three months. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that the artists here are as good as anyone else in the world, including myself. There are some fantastic young artists and they have a better opportunity than any of us elders had. Because when I was coming up as an artist, uh, which didn't start until my late thirties, cause I had a son to raise. Mm -hmm. But when I was coming up, there wasn't any place that we could exhibit. No, no white places were really showing our work except, um, Franklin University, they had a gallery, and there was a, uh, there was a gallery downtown. And the only reason that I know of it is because they showed uh, Barbara Chavis. It seems that Columbus get, uh, accepts like one or two people, like Ohio State at a time, to <laughs> boast, you know. Uh, but the younger artists are all coming along because they're all having the opportunity to show at any gallery. If their work is good, they will show because people like making money. Uh, and, and, and our work is good. Our work is good. Our, I mean, the young people, their work is excellent. Uh, a lot of them, not everybody, but I'm trying to reach those that aren't up to par yet. Yeah. But, uh, they do have more opportunities than any of us had. Uh, and until uh, photographer, artist Kojo Kamaru came, uh, that was the only gallery 
that we had the show at, and that was Ace. And I was glad to be a part of that group. Also, the younger artists, they show show more of their anger at the system. Right, yeah. And uh, I don't think we did that. Uh, we did, some, some of us did a lot of, you know, European-type art. And I always stepped outside because I was always doing something abstract. As a photographer, I came in, I take photographs, but I would cut them up and weave them together, or I would hand color them, or I would do something different. And then I went from photography into wood burning, from wood burning into painting, then from painting into assembly. So I continue. Ms. Brooks wanted to ask you specifically about the wood burning. I found that very interesting. How did you get into wood burning as a medium to make art? And what is it about working with wood that appeals to you? Okay, first of all, I love the feel of wood. Mm. I love the smell of wood. And I love the uh, the uh the hardness of wood. Even when I'm working on paper, I put it on top of something. I like that that mm-hmm. uh, better than the give of canvas. What started me with wood burning was I was uh, af- I had an after school program, and uh, it was at the Ashburn Youth Center on the west side. Mm-hmm. It came out of the Ashburn Church, and. Uh, some people donated us some wood burners for the kids to use. Well, the kids weren't going to use them. First of all, they were too young. They would burn themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and second, they were scared of them. So uh, when they left, I still had to stay on duty because I was expecting older kids who never came. They went up to the gym. And so I had to stay there and I started playing with the wood, you know, burning into the wood. And I decided to start making images with it, uh, with the wood burners. And then I found out that there's uh, more sophisticated wood burners than the ones that were giving uh, that were giving to us. Uh, and so I, I bought the more sophisticated one that had different barrels and different mm-hmm. tips and burnt really faster. And that's how I got into it. And I started burning on doors. And so I burned and, and they were they were welcomed. And uh, it took a long time, but it, it gave me a lot of peace. I can't wow. do that as well now because the last show that I had at the faculty club, which which was the same place I just had this one. I could not shake hands with anybody because my hand was so swollen and hurt so bad from wood burning. Mm -hmm. So now I have arthritis, so I can't do it as well as I used to be able to do it. Well, we are we are appreciative and grateful for your sacrifice. So thank you so much for that. I just want to ask you one other thing. How do you think we can increase the consumption of black art specifically in the black community. And by that, I mean, I think a lot of black folks 
appreciate art. They would like to own art and collect art themselves, but they don't really know how or they think that you have to be some expert or that you have to have a lot of money or that you have to run in art circles. What advice do you have for people who want to support black artists, want to start or add to their art collections? All my life, since I became an artist, I have been trying to educate us regarding that subject Mm -hmm. in terms of acquiring, appreciating Black art. My art is always, when it's not in a gallery, it's on a payment plan. So there is no reason not to get the art. Uh, But I don't, I can't speak for all Black artists, whether they do that or not, but I know that I do, and I know some others do as well, especially because we want Black art to be owned by Blacks. I mean, I went to uh, see Amina's work one time, and I was like, I can't even afford this, and this is about us. Yeah. I couldn't afford it. Uh, it was in the gallery, so it wasn't for no payment plans. <laughs> I'm <I've> trying. <laughs> Truth be spoken, but I try to tell people if they're interested in art, first try to let them understand that they have a need for black art. Uh, whatever they like, they don't have to like what everybody else likes but mm-hmm. if it's if it's original then it's more important than a walmart piece okay. so i try to get them to understand that we need to support our black artists too yeah. and that they can like whatever they like and they will find an artist that produces that ask for a payment plan uh pay as they can the problem is, is that's that, a good idea. I, I didn't even know that was an option that artists would be willing to work with 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 customers um, in terms of like payment plans for for more expensive pieces. So that's good to know. Well, they ought to anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So then I I try once they get interested in a piece. I tell them, look for prints. Those are the cheapest. Original prints. Those are the cheapest. Okay. Well, I shouldn't say cheapest. The more affordable. But I already said cheapest. So they are more affordable and easier to to buy. Uh, Then they might go to something on paper, like a a drawing. Then Mm -hmm. something on canvas mm-hmm. or by or pottery if they like pottery but you know start to collect those things and they never but don't collect them in terms of thinking that they're going to be worth a whole bunch of money because they may not be that's another thing altogether right but re- yeah. learn to know their artists all of them go to go to shows you don't have to buy anything to go to an exhibit <laughs> and you'll meet the artists. Uh, you'll meet other people like yourselves. Talk to people and don't be ashamed because, tell you the truth, uh, before I became an artist, I went to Kojo's. I looked in his window three times before I walked through the door. <laughs> he had to come out and invite me in 
because I had that misconception that I had to buy something. I think going into the gallery is the only place where you can go where you're not expected. You're hoped to buy something, but you're not really expected to buy anything. You can just look. You can learn. So, But art is not a priority for us. It, I mean, when you're thinking about how you're going to eat, you're not thinking about what you're going to put on right. your wall. It's a luxury, yeah. Yes, it's a luxury. And so as an artist, we, we need to accept that, uh, and we need to make things that are affordable for our people. That's why prints were so easily made, because people could afford them. Yeah. But everything is high now, even our prices. And even when you go to a gallery, you have to pay a gallery 20 to 50 percent of your whatever you're selling it for. Yeah. Oh, wow. I did not know you that. You didn't know that either, did you? No. <laughs> well, that's it. So it's wow. easier to know an artist so that you can go to their home. Then they don't okay. have to put that extra on the price. Right. Okay. Well, thank that. That's that is great information for for me personally to know and as well as our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for that. And I I just want to thank you, Queen, you know, because um, your work, again, has been so inspiring, you know, and I I was introduced to you uh, by Deidre Hamler. And I want to give her a great shout out because she's been instrumental in introducing black people to black art. Um, Yes. So she's been very instrumental working over at the Columbus Museum of Art as well. So do you plan to get back into teaching? Because there was a one point that you were at an adjunct professor at um, Audubon. Um, and Ohio Dominican. Ohio Dominican. So would that is that an option, you know, now that you know, like you said, you're thinking and you're working in this new realm of like what's next for you. Would you go back to doing that, like to help educate the next generation of artists? Because I know you do take on mentees and the art scene and those up and coming artists. Um, but would you go back into a classroom to help, you know, everyday other um, students of color? around art and art appreciation? I would go to the door of the art room, see uh, students of color, and tell them they can meet me at my studio. I am not going into the teaching <laughs> anymore. I do not, I did not <laughs> like teaching because it, it questioned my integrity. And so I work with any individuals that want to be involved in the arts, want to learn anything about the arts, or want to do art. But I don't have time to waste. I mean, I got a certain amount of years here, and I don't know if I got the next thing, so don't waste my time. Right. But but I will give you every kind of bit of knowledge that I can. And it doesn't even, it can be anything. You can just need somebody to talk to. I'm here. That's what I do. I'm a giver. And I love giving, but don't waste my time. Thank you so much. Yes. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you both. Yeah. So enjoy the rest of your day. We want to thank our audience for listening to us. Thank you for being here with us again. And, you know, Queen, we look forward more to seeing more of your work and just blessing us and gracing us. Oh, thank you so much. And God bless you all and all that's listening. And have a good life. As Dr. Dean said, we just want to thank our guest, Queen Brooks, again.
for everybody else out there, you'll be able to find this episode on Dispatch.com. And while you're there, please consider supporting local journalism by becoming a subscriber. You can also find this episode wherever you get your podcast. So be sure to check back regularly for the next installment of In Black and White podcast series. And until the next time, try to see things from the other side. Thanks. Thanks.